Hello, and welcome to the SAMOP Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military, from all branches of service and various specialties. Today, we are fortunate to have Dr. Letterer with us today. Dr. Letterer is a third-year general surgery resident at Keesler Air Force Base and a graduate of Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. She is here to share her experiences as a general surgery resident and her thoughts on matching into the specialty. We haven't had enough residents on the podcast, so I'm thrilled to have have you, Dr. Letterer. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share my experience and try and help out the, the med school hopefuls. Well, we certainly hopefuls. <laughs> we, we certainly appreciate it. And it makes all the difference. Like I said, we haven't had a whole lot of residents on, and I think it's a it's a particular group that we should be interviewing more because you guys just stepped out of the process of being a medical student. And while attendings have a lot of great information, oftentimes there are a few degrees removed, processes have changed, the way we do things has changed, and it makes it harder to give clear advice. So I think this makes all the difference having more residents on. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I do remember the feeling of being a med student and feeling like there was no current information available. So I'm happy to help out in any way that I can. Yes. And that was one of the great things that I guess this, uh, this podcast has been around for, I guess, three years now. And that was kind of where it was born out of was that when you go to look up and see like what programs are offering what, and like, what's the best way to approach things, even the timeline for uh, applying to residencies, for HPFP students seemed so obscure and it seemed last minute and you're never really sure if you did everything you needed to. So this was kind of created to help with that. Yes, you're sending me some flashbacks of my application. <laughs> but I, I understand the feeling you're going through right now. Absolutely. Okay, ma'am. So we'll start off with the same question we ask everybody every time. We want to know a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, any family. You know, you, I already told them where uh, you went to medical school and where you went to residency and things like that. But um, what kind of encapsulates you as an individual and we can build from there? Sure. Uh, just a little bit about myself. I'm actually a South African immigrant. I was born to my mom's British. My dad's German. Grew up in South Africa. I moved here to start first grade. Um, so I spent most of my childhood in Minnesota. Um, wanted to stay up north and uh, to for medical school, so I ended up in the Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine campus, closer to Pittsburgh, and then moved up to Lake Erie uh, for my last two years for uh, my clinicals. That's where I met my boyfriend of four years, Corey. So now we both live down south with our dog and our two cats in a happy little family. Um, and one of the unique things about my program, which I'm sure we can get into a little bit later on, is I actually spend a good amount of my time TDY or traveling for my rotations. So um, last last year, I spent about 40, 40 weeks out of the year living out of hotels and traveling at different hospitals. So always on the road and always busy, but it's it's a good experience nonetheless. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is, uh, that's a lot. So Minnesota to, um, where are you now? You said yes, Mississippi? Mississippi. That's a, that's a pretty dramatic change in both uh, temperature and humidity, I would imagine. Yes, yes. Um, you know, I was kind of hesitant about moving down to the south. Uh, I love the snow. I love winter. But now that I'm down here, I honestly don't think I want to leave. If I never oh. have to shovel snow off my car again, I will be a happy camper. <laughs> that's actually uh, great to hear. And uh, of course, we can dive into that uh, a little bit more. Uh, actually, I'll just do it now. 
Uh, so tell me, like, as far as being at your location, uh, just geographically speaking, the city, things to do around there is that, uh, what do you like about outside of the residency program itself, the location? Yeah, well, uh, so Biloxi, Mississippi is right on the Gulf Coast. So you have all the, the beaches and touristy attractions. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Biloxi, Mississippi is also called the Vegas of the South. So we do have like a, a mini Las Vegas strip. So we've got the Hard Rock Casino, the Beau Rivage, um, lots of casinos like that and the entertainment that comes along with the casinos. So there's plenty of stuff to do outside of work. And then in terms of travel, we spend a good amount of time on the Florida Panhandle Coast as well. And so those are just crystal clear blue waters. There's all the activities that come with living along the water, surfing and boating and whatnot. So there's plenty of stuff to do outside, which I really enjoy. And the weather is beautiful year round. So you're never trapped indoors because it's too cold or too miserable outside. Oh, so you do a lot of trips to Florida. How long's the drive to, to get to that coast? Because I've seen that Gulf Coast and it is quite pretty. It is. Uh, so from Biloxi, we travel to both Pensacola and uh, Eglin Air Force Base, which is in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. It's about two hours to Pensacola and about three and a half or so to Eglin Air Force Base. Okay, not bad. So you could technically uh, do a one day beach travel day. You'd just be investing the whole day, but it's definitely doable. Absolutely. And it's worth it. Beautiful beaches. Highly recommend. I, I, I would agree. And I grew up a large portion of my life in Florida, so I have a very soft spot for that state. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so let's, let's get into uh, first surgery. Uh, why did you choose general surgery? Um, and you know, what kind of led you down that path? And what was your experience as a medical student, like stepping towards surgery? So I have to preface this by saying that I did not always want to be a doctor. Um, I I was very dead set on being an architect. That's what my grandfather was. And I was, you know, in high school, I went to take all the drafting classes and that's what my sole focus was. So my grandfather was an architect and I wanted to pursue uh, the same career path. Uh, but when I was a sophomore in high school, one of our teachers made us uh, basically review three different career options and pros and cons of each. And I just did not want to do this project at all. So I selected the first, you know, three A-list uh, careers off the list. And so the, one of them was anesthesiology. And the more I researched it, I was, I thought to myself that this is actually very interesting. I have no one in my family is medical. I never even considered a career in the medical field, but I decided to reach out to our local hospital and see if I could shadow an anesthesiologist for a day. When I got to the hospital, I was so excited, you know, it was completely foreign to me. And we walk into the operating room and right when the surgery is getting started, the anesthesiologist wants to walk out of the room and, you know, go on to the next thing. And I realized at that point in time, you know, what was actually so exciting about the day was the surgery. You know, I wanted to stay and watch the surgeon and see what the surgeon did. Uh, so I actually ended up returning to the hospital, shadowing a surgeon and just fell in love head over heels with surgery. I really like that, at least as a general surgeon, if someone has a problem that I can physically do something to fix it. Mm -hmm. uh, going through medical school, it was very frustrating to me on my medicine rotations, because you would have people come in with very complex, very interesting problems, and you would give them the world's best advice, but it was up to them if they went home and followed it or followed the medication regimen um, or followed up on the labs and everything that you had ordered. At least with surgery, I know I have that control to make an improvement. I, I can certainly understand the frustrations there. Um, 
personally, I'm team anesthesia. That's where, uh, where all my applications went. So uh, I, I agree with the OR environment, maybe not so much the, the mechanically fixing, but I'm right there with you. Um, I, I think the specialty in and of itself definitely a, a, attracts a certain type of person, I might think, but what, what would you say the uh, personality type is for uh, general surgery, at least within the Air Force or maybe your program? Do you think there's a certain personality or? <laughs> I do think that there is a certain personality. Um, I think it does take a certain kind of confidence to take a person to the operating room. You really want to instill to your patients that you, you know, they can have full faith in you to do the job that you set out to do. Um, so I know sometimes surgeons might come across as arrogant. I would not say that my program is very arrogant. I think you have a lot of strong personalities that go into surgery, a lot of um, maybe like kind of boisterous, you know, very enthusiastic about their job. You know, I, I love my coworkers. You get all, all ranges of people, you know, very shy to very loud and in your face, but all in all, everyone seems very confident in their skills and abilities. And, and that's what we want to relay to our patients when we talk to them. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think every physician kind of strives for that, but there, there's a certain amount of, uh, when you make a cut, you can't really take it back, right? So I, I think there is some extent to that of like, especially right there in that moment, very acute, you need to be confident in what you're doing. So I, I definitely could understand. Exactly. And another thing is, uh, you know, a lot of the time it's see one, teach one, do one. That's kind of the motto in surgery. So uh, you, a lot of times you have to jump in head first. Um, so if you're someone who likes to be a little bit more analytical or think about things before you approach things, it might be a fast paced specialty. You might not enjoy it quite as much, but if you're someone who you're like, man, I really want to try that out for myself and see how it goes. then I think a procedural specialty is, is the right fit. Okay. So, okay. Kind of going along with that. So let's say I've decided you've converted me now. I want to do surgery. Uh, and I'm on my, on, right. I did a huge pivot right there. It just happened. Uh, and I want to do surgery and I'm going on my audition rotations or I'm actually just, we'll say throughout, throughout the spectrum of students at different years and stuff like that. What are the things that I can do to improve my chances? And what do you think, um, the general advice is for medical students, both in their preclinical years and then their clin clinical years. So for preclinical year students, I would say um, getting out and getting exposure is hugely beneficial. Um, I would say that surgery as a, as a residency can be very tough with the hours that you spend at the hospital. You typically don't have any like clinical rotations where you're only working like a nice nine to five, you know, for a period of time. Um, so I will say getting some clinical clinical experience and getting exposure to the career can help determine if this is something that's a good fit for you. And it can also get you the right people to write you letters of recommendation or answer those questions that you might have. In terms of you know third and fourth years who are rotating, uh, the biggest thing is being prepared and being, you know, volunteering to get involved with things. So, you know, being prepared, making sure you know the patient, know the anatomy have a basic understanding of the surgery that you're about to witness so that you can be engaged during the procedure. And then, um, you know, just being willing to jump in if you're in a trauma and there's a procedure that's appropriate for your level, you know, saying, hey, do you mind if I try this? Do you mind if you walk me through this? Um, and being willing to, to kind of put yourself out there. 
Okay. So uh, other than like you've already mentioned, kind of like being willing to jump in head first and just kind of uh, doing things. And I sounds a lot like uh, the concept of n- don't ever say no, say yes to everything. Um, but outside of that, it, when you have med students rotating um, at your service, at uh, your residency location, what do you define as a third year general surgery resident as a rock star med student on a rotation? Honestly, it all comes down to the amount of effort that students want to put in. We do get a lot of medical students rotating through Keesler who are from a local medical school. We don't necessarily want to do surgery, but the ones that are very much a rock star who will do well in any specialty are the ones who show up with a good attitude, who are willing to pick up an extra patient or, you know, will ask clinical questions or ask for explanation on things. Those are the students that you can tell are going to do really well, regardless of what they apply for. And then in terms of, you know, procedural skills, we don't expect any student who's coming through, whether it's just a a regular rotation or if it's an audition rotation, we don't expect you to be a rock star, you know, at suturing or not tying or, you know, to know how to do the procedure. That's why the program is five years long, because it takes a long time to learn these skills and to learn how to do them well. We just want to know that you you are teachable. So if we tell you, you know, to correct something that you you're making an effort in doing that and that you're willing to listen. So it, it sounds like these because that's the same kind of things that I heard right uh, from the residents I talked to before starting my audition rotations. The idea of uh, how, how well do you take feedback and how how well do you internalize that and then use that to. Uh, apply towards doing well on the rotations. Does that sound about right? Not being defensive, but rather taking on that information and then doing something about it? Absolutely. Like I said, uh, at least in surgical specialties, we tend to get very big personalities. And sometimes, you know, if you have a overconfident medical student who's coming in and doesn't take uh, feedback very well, that can affect them very poorly, even if they are, you know, very good on paper and very good clinically. Um, if you just rub people the wrong way with not being receptive to learning. Yeah, that, I mean, that does, it makes a lot of sense. Plus it just makes it easier to, to have somebody on a team, right? If it, you can actually communicate with them and not feel like you're walking on eggshells or feel like everything's like pulling teeth. Exactly. So for you, I know uh, we'll dig back, uh, back into you as a, personally as a resident. Uh, do you have any plans for fellowship? Um, what does that look like for you? Is the Air Force kind of supportive of you guys doing fellowships? So that's, uh, it changes year to year. So I've considered, I'm not committed to doing a fellowship. I love general surgery. Um, and I guess I'll kind of see where I where I am in the next year or so when application cycles are coming around. I do have an interest in plastic surgery, um, but again, that will completely depend on the Air Force need and what the the application cycle looks like that year. The Air Force is, you know, if you wanna do a fellowship, it is possible. Um, It does vary year to year how many spots are available and if they still need that specialty in the the field. Something save for like pediatrics, uh, pediatric surgery, that's extremely competitive both in and out of the Air Force. So if that's something that you're uh, thinking about doing, like you might have a very tough time doing that within the Air Force. But if you're thinking more critical care trauma, that's something the Air Force will always need a lot of. Um, so just depending on kind of where your focus is might be a little bit more feasible while you're still in the Air Force. I certainly know a lot of people who have done their time and gotten out and then pursued the fellowship that they wanted. 
Okay, kind of speaking of um, Air Force needs or really military needs as a whole, um, I know I've talked to a lot of Army residents that have kind of put out that, you know, there are some frustrations with uh, things not related to clinical medicine, checking certain boxes, doing TCCC recertifications and stuff like that. Do, do you have a lot of those things that you deal with? And if so, how do you uh, feel you're able to balance those things? How well do you think you are able to balance them? Yeah, so I guess I can't, uh, I don't know quite how much the Army has to do. Certainly with the Air Force, we have a lot of paperwork that's always needed to be done. You always have online trainings that are sent out to you. Um, it's very important to stay up on all your military requirements, whether it be vaccinations or, you know, dental appointments, things like that, that no matter what job you have in the military are going to be required of you. Um, you know, for our program, it's a little bit more unique because we spend a lot of time not at our home station. Um, so you really have to be on top of deadlines and knowing that, you know, I will be available to get to a military computer and access these websites, you know, in this time frame, and I need to get these things done. Sure. So you brought up a couple of times now that the idea that your program is unique and that you spend a lot of time away uh, for your rotation. So you consider that a pro or a con for your program? <laughs> Can I say both? Sure, uh, yeah. I would say it's, pros of traveling a lot is that military hospitals in general tend to be less busy than their civilian counterparts. And a lot of at least the Air Force General Surgery programs do have an affiliated civilian hospital that their residents spend a large majority of their time rotating at. So that in itself is not unique. Mine is just a little bit more unique because after Hurricane Katrina came through, a lot of our subspecialty services were no longer available on the Gulf Coast. And so to continue the program, we had to kind of reach further afield um, to be able to fulfill those needs. So we do go all the way to Texas, up north to Jackson, Mississippi, and then to Florida as well. And so we split our time there. So because of that, we get to meet a ton of different surgeons who have all trained at very different programs and they all provide a unique perspective and can provide you with different ways of doing things. So you have a huge arsenal of techniques that you learn and a huge network of people that you can contact, you know, should you encounter a patient that you don't know what to do, uh, you don't know what to do with when you uh, are examining them. So that's the pro. The con is, you know, I'm, I'm interviewed, I'm being interviewed from a hotel room right now. So I do spend a lot of time <laughs> away from home, away from my creature comforts, away from my pets and my boyfriend and, you know, all the things close to home. And so, you know, I think military is unique in that there's always the potential for travel or the potential for you to be sent somewhere for training, et cetera. So being flexible in that regard um, is definitely needed. Uh, I guess I just was not, maybe took on too much thinking that like 40 weeks on the road every year would be preferable, if that makes sense. You know, sometimes I wish I could go home a little bit more frequently, but it is what it is. And this is part of our training. For sure. Um, when you get, uh, when you guys do these rotations, these uh, away rotations, if you will, um, how long are they and do, uh, does the program stack them back to back or do you get to come home for a month and then go back out? What does that look like? Yeah, it really depends. Um, so at least at my program, our rotations are six to seven weeks. Um, so it is nice that once you move somewhere that you can get your feet under you and, you know, be able to spend a decent amount of time there. Um, the problem is, is if you have, it's possible to have multiple rotations where you're traveling between sites. So you could spend, you know, months at a time away from home. Um, which like I said, I don't, 
I don't quite know if all the other programs travel as frequently as we do. It's my understanding that a lot of their time is spent in the near vicinity to where their base is. Okay. So, um, I mean, I think we've talked enough about travel and I don't want to beat the dead horse there. So uh, outside of the travel for your program in particular, um, are there any things that other than that that are unique or pros and cons about the program? Of course, I don't want you to out yourself if like somebody uh, from your program happens to listen to this. I don't want, want to get you in trouble, but certainly we want to hear uh, anything that may be of value for medical students considering the program. Yeah, you know, in terms of the training that I've received at my program, I would recommend it hands down. Like I said, you work with a huge network of fantastic surgeons, and I'm really appreciative for that. Um, cons, you really have to decide if this is what's right for you and your family. Uh, you know, I, a lot of my co-residents have kids, for instance, and I know it's very tough on them to either be separated uh, from their significant other and their children or have everyone moving with them every six weeks. So mm -hmm. I would say that that is something that if it doesn't work necessarily for your lifestyle or how you wanna live the next five years, then that's definitely a big consideration in terms of selecting this program. Sure. Um, so let's say you've convinced me of surgery, you've convinced me of your program, but now do I have the resume to match it? What, what does that look? Uh, obviously everybody should be scoring the highest they can on board scores, but um, Realistic thoughts on certain board scores. How can I improve my resume? Should I be doing research? Um, how can I get involved at the residency program? Are there people that we can reach out to and kind of like start creating those inroads? You know, things like that. What What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I wish I had the, the magic answer. You know, I remember as a, a third year getting ready for applications, the whole point system and match system of the military seemed to be like kind of a foreign concept. Um, and I think, you know, even as a resident, there's still not a ton of clarity in terms of how that actually works. Um, you know, in terms of my resume, you know, I was not top tier board scores. You know, I did okay. I thought I'd be competitive, but I, I didn't feel like I was going to be a shoe in just based on my resume alone. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, I think it really does depend year to year how competitive, whatever specialty you're applying for. Um, you know, the first I, I should mention, I was a prelim. I first matched Ikesar as a prelim. Uh, the first year I applied, I feel like the network of medical students I knew that were applying for general surgery was very high. I applied again the next year. I really wanted to stay at Keesler because I love the program and it was not quite as competitive the next year. So I felt like my odds of staying were very good. And I did end up getting a categorical position after that. Um, I know other subs, I know other specialties kind of wax and wane, you know, some years pediatrics is super competitive. Other years, there might be open spots that go unfilled until, you know, kind of our version of the scramble. So yes, you do need to be the best candidate that you can be, but I absolutely would not recommend people from against applying to the specialty that they want to end up in because they don't think that they're good enough. Because, you know, I would hate for spots to go unfilled in your dream specialty, but you missed it because you didn't take that chance to apply for that program. So there's always been, well, there's always, always been, um, a little bit of shrouded mystery, right? When it comes to that point system and, uh, and, uh, and I think it causes a lot of angst, right? And especially for medical students. So we always wanna, you know, game the system as best we can, right? Because um, uh, 
although it's not the best thing in the world that if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Uh, so like when you see a way that like, oh, I get these points, so I should max out my points. Um, and I think that's uh, both a stress reliever and uh, uh, but also creates a different kind of stress. Um, so the, the direction I'm kind of going with this is, is do, do you think that the interview and the points matter the most or does a lot of this really come down to how well did you do on auditions? Hard to say. So I will say that, you know, in terms of the medical students that I've worked with in the years since I've matched, you know, some years we get a, a particular medical student, you're like, man, they were awesome. We really want them to come to this program. They really want to come to our program. And then for whatever reason, when the match comes out, they don't end up matching at our program. So I do think that it's not necessarily like if you knock it out of the park on your audition that you're going to end up at that program. There is still some, you know, what if another program ranks you higher and, you know, it's their turn for the next selection, then it's kind of out of your hands. So I do think that there is still a lot of mystery. I don't think the program directors have definitive say at the end of the day, like these are the five that we want or, you know, we don't want. With the caveat being, if you go to a program and you're dangerous or you're unteachable or you're rude, I think you can absolutely hurt yourself with auditions. Um, you know, I think programs do have the right to say no to residents or to, you know, the, the residents that match there. So mm -hmm. I would say when you go on your auditions, do the best you can, be enthused, you know, express to the program that you want to go there if that's the truth. I certainly wouldn't try and gain the system and tell everyone that, they, you know, it's your number one spot. Right. Um, a very small community and I would anticipate that the program directors all talk to each other and, and know about all the candidates that are applying for that specialty. Yeah, speaking of which, how many, how many programs are there active duty for the Air Force? So for the Air Force, there are five. Um, there's Bright Pat, there's San Antonio, there's Nellis, and then there's, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking, San Diego. What is that? Travis Air Force Base. Okay. Um, and then, of course, Keesler. So those are the five. Um, and there's a different amount of spots at each. And I don't know those numbers offhand anymore because yeah. I'm beyond the, the process. So I'm pretty sure anybody applying is going to know by yes. that point. <laughs> Again, gaming the game, right? Trying to figure out exactly. the best odds. Uh, so for you, why... Um, why did you choose the Air Force uh, originally? Because it sounds like you, you already knew you wanted general surgery out the gate. So did, did that play into your choice or? You know, I wish I could tell you, like I full-fledged wanted to jump in. Air Force was my only option. And these are the reasons why. When I was looking in, um, when I was a college student in Minnesota, I had just kind of stumbled across HPSP. We happened to have two recruiters come to our like pre-health club meeting. And that was the first time I had ever heard of this. Um, when I went to go look for recruiters to talk to, I did try and reach out to Army, Navy, and Air Force. And mm -hmm. let's not be a huge military presence in Minnesota, because the, actually the only recruiter who got back to me was an Air Force recruiter based out of Nebraska. That was the closest. Oh, wow. so, so, you know, in terms of why did I pursue Air Force, it kind of was the, the one pathway that was easiest for me to follow. Um, in terms of you know, specialties, there's certainly not as many options for Air Force, you know, if you say compared to Army, um, you know, if, so if you want something maybe a little bit more subspecialized, maybe 
pre-med hopeful should have their sights set on Army HPSB. Um, but in terms of quality of life, uh, base selection, you know, I'm very happy with ending up in the Air Force. I think it's a very good fit for me. Okay. Um, do Does the Air Force do any civilian deferred general surgery? Yes. Um, so at least in the Air Force, we have basically your three options are active duty, civilian deferred, or civilian sponsored. Um, so we do, and, you know, if you want to talk about gaming the system, you know, I, I know when I applied, I was like, Ooh, I do not want civilian I only rank civilian deferred as one of the options, but on the flip side, I do know people who have been very successful if they got a civilian sponsored spot, because you're essentially a free resident to a program, um, so that you can use that as your, in your advantage, to your advantage, to get into a program that might not have considered you had you just been a, a traditional applicant taking up one of their spots that they had already kind of set aside for someone else. Mm -hmm. I've kind of seen with um, the rotations for residents in the military, the, the general theme that I've heard at least from other residents and from program directors is that the military students that are rotating at civilian sites, uh, not necessarily matched as civilian deferred, but the military residents that go over to civilian sites are generally viewed more positively or that they generally have a good reputation? Has that been kind of um, your experience or is that a little bit different? Do you get treated differently, good or bad? Um, you know, I would say in general, all of the programs that I, all the civilian programs we've rotated at have been very welcoming to us. Uh, you know, in terms of going to work every day, am I sure that all these programs necessarily know that we're active duty military? No, I don't think they do because when you show up to work, you put on the same scrubs that you know, they require their civilian, you know, general surgeons or residents to wear. So is there a differentiation? Probably not. Um, but everyone has always been very warm and welcoming. And actually, a lot of the times that we go to sites, you do end up, you know, running into active duty physicians, you know, maybe stationed at, say, Eglin Air Force Base or somewhere close by who are picking up um, locum shifts, you know, at a civilian hospital. So there is a huge military network. It seems kind of wherever we go that you run into active duty physicians also working in the hospital. It's interesting you bring that up. So do you have plans to potentially do that as well to maybe do some, uh, I guess it'd be moonlighting hours and stuff like that and have from your discussions with attendings, do you feel like that's uh, a reasonable goal for most um, commands? I think it very much depends on where you are sent uh, post-residency. I think there are definitely some sites that you will stay busy enough and get enough exposure to enough different conditions and stay, you know, in the operating room enough to keep your skills. But a lot of other, a lot of military bases that I have looked into seemed like their surgery centers are slowing down. And so in order to stay, you know, up on your skills, it's almost necessary to go do locums every once in a while, just so you get kind of more hands-on or higher acuity patients that we can't necessarily take care of at a, at a military institute. I would, I would definitely say that's a challenge. So being prior service myself and prior service medical in particular, um, I am aware of some of the challenges that come with maybe not as complex patients and things like that. And that was put me a little bit on the fence originally with, well, do I want to go back to the military? Is that going to affect my training? Um, will I come out of residency competent enough? And I, I think throughout my, just my audition rotations, that's alleviated my concerns, but 
I think they're still valid for a lot of people and even HPSP students after they've signed up is what does that look like? Do I, am I still gonna be competitive when I leave uh, the military? My service commitment is up and I decide that I'm going to start uh, practicing the civilian sector. Do, will people wanna hire me? Um, I think those are legitimate concerns. I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on that? No, and I absolutely agree. That was definitely one of the things that I was most worried about you know, getting into HPSP and then as I progressed through, um, something that alleviated my fears, especially when I was on audition rotations, was looking towards the senior residents and seeing how competent I thought they were. Mm -hmm. And every senior resident that I worked with was very talented, had very good clinical decision-making, good surgical skills. And I thought to myself, you know, if they come through this program, they obviously got good training. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of talking to my attendings, you know, they all went to different programs. Some of them were civilian deferred, some of them were active duty. Um, so they all have kind of differing opinions on this. But for the most part, it seems like it's decently easy to set up an affiliation with a local community hospital and get more exposure or, you know, more time on the robot or, you know, things like that, that might not necessarily be available to you at your home base. And it seems command has been very receptive to that because ultimately it leads to you being a better surgeon or a better clinician, um, you know, in whatever your specialty is. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there are, are a lot of avenues to stay competitive. Um, if it is your plan to, you know, do your time and get out and then go on to a, to a civilian job. Okay. So, and I, I think what I'll end my questions on this and to kind of gear it directly towards medical students. Um, what do you think, if you were to give one single piece of advice to the prospective um, applicant to Air Force General Surgery, what would it be? Look into the lifestyle of general surgery, a general surgery resident, um, and then in a general surgery attending. You know, ever since I got interested in pursuing a surgical career, I spent a lot of time shadowing and, you know, surgery club and, you know, surgery interest groups, et cetera. And I thought I knew hundred percent what I was getting into. And the truth of the matter is, is it's a long residency and you are consistently working 80 hour work weeks, um, you know, and it's, that's 80 hours on average over four weeks. So some of your work weeks are 110 hours, but it averages out to 80 over the course of the month. Um, so it is very hard to have a lot of interests outside of medicine if you're that busy inside the hospital. So, you know, there, for the, for the students who are applying or interested in surgery, I always tell them, you know, really think about if, if you want to pursue a procedural subspecialty, look into your other options, you know, look to see if interventional radiology would actually suit you better, or if you want to do any other, you know, OBGYN, or if you want to do pulmonology and then, you know, become an interventional pulmonologist, like there are lots of options for procedural specialties if that's what you're after. But if you want to do surgery, just know that the lifestyle will be a little bit more demanding and a little bit longer in terms of residency, if that's something that you're wanting to pursue. And as long as you know that and you're fine with that and surgery is where your heart lies, like have at it. Um, but, you know, don't, don't think that you can go into residency and still maintain your you know, 18 other hobbies outside of, outside of medicine, something's going to have to get put on the back burner while you go through training. Do you get to do any like, uh, hobbies or do you have like minor hobbies you keep up with while you're in residency or is that really just all poof? 
<laughs> it, it really depends on the on the service. You know, if I'm on something a little bit more time consuming like trauma or transplant or burn ICU, you know, those took up a lot of time. And, you know, most of the time when I got home, I would just want to sit in front of the TV and veg out and not do anything of interest. So, yeah, you know, I'm not saying that you have to completely give up everything that interests you outside of medicine, but you will have to sacrifice some things in order to to be a resident for five plus years, you know? <laughs> right. No, that's yeah. <laughs> but yeah. everyone makes it through you know it all works out in the end but it's I don't you know I don't think any residency program regardless of specialty is easy by any means um you know you just have to find something you're passionate about and jump in wholeheartedly and you know make it through yeah I, I think that's actually a great uh great ending to this interview is that's medicine in general right and yes just jumping in head first uh, saying yes to everything and then uh, just trying to get comfortable with that lifestyle, I guess, in some ways. Absolutely. All right. That wraps up our episode with Dr. Letterer today. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your experiences with us future military physicians. For those of you listening, if you have any recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samopseducationchair at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.